Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Before I get into my message today, I want to clear the air of who this message is for. Is there anyone here that has never made a mistake? (laughs) Have you never made a bad choice? Is there anyone here that has never been tricked or deceived? How about this one? Is there anyone here that's never done something stupid? (laughs) Now, If you were not able to raise your hand for any of those, this message is for you. And if you didn't raise your hand, if you felt like, well, I probably should raise my hand because I am perfect, then you need to be here the day I preach online. (laughs) Because we've all made bad decisions. We've all made foolish mistakes. And yes, Many of us have been lied to and we've been deceived. And we could name a lot of other things that would be applicable. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's go back and I'm going to start off with a couple of passages that we read last Sunday. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, let's pause for a minute. King James uses the word wiles, which literally means deceit or a cunning device, an enemy lying in wait. And he says, we need to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the tricks or the schemes or the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against each other. You say, wait a minute, my, my problem's with other people. My problem's with self. But how many knows there's a bigger enemy? And that enemy is Satan. The enemy is Satan, and he is deceitful. The Bible says he's the deceiver. The Bible says he's a liar and he's good at his schemes. Now, how many of you know that there are times that we are more vulnerable? How about babies? How many thinks that they're vulnerable and they need to be protected? How about those that are weak? Those that are exhausted those that are lonely, 
those that are angry. Now, that word is going to come out several times in my message today. And I know I hit it pretty hard last week. But the reality is when we are full of anger and bitterness and loneliness and fatigue, that we are much more susceptible to make the wrong decisions and to make the wrong choices and that we are led astray. Now, I know that this is going to surprise some of you, but the Bible says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly places. In other words, we're fighting a spiritual battle that's much, much bigger than you and I. I know this is going to surprise some of you because whatever political party you are, it's not Democrats against Republicans. That's not who we're wrestling against. We're not wrestling against independents or the Green Party. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And we need to understand that, that we're wrestling against something bigger than we are. Now, if you drop back over to chapter 4 of Ephesians, I read these verses last week. Because it says this, so that we may be no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness. There's that same word. Satan loves to deceive us. Satan likes to trick you. He likes to blind us and make us think that my battle is against you. And my battle is not against you. Your battle is not against me. It's not against those, our neighbors. It's not against your boss man. Our battle against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. That's our battle. And it says, and, and human coming by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so the body builds itself up in love. Those are our goals. But you know what? Satan loves to disrupt it. Satan likes to you get our focus off of other things. We, and Paul says us, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tricks of the enemy. Now, my title of my message today is The Real Trick or Treat. Now, I know some people say, oh, Pastor, are you honoring Satan? No, I'm not honoring Satan. I want to punch him in the nose. I want to tear down him. I want to go against him because what we're wrestling against is him. But I want to tell you, we're winners. Hey, I'm going to win. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. That doesn't mean that I'm never going to make a mistake. That means that I'm on God's side. And if I'm on God's side, I'm not going to lose because he is bigger than the powers of the universe that disrupt things, the trickster going on. And God has given each one of us here today a choice to make. Are you going to choose the trick or the treat? You say, what do you mean trick or treat? If Satan is a deceiver, don't you think he represents the trick? If Satan's a liar... 
Don't you think that he's wreck? I was almost going to say reckon. Do you know what reckon means? Yeah. We have a choice. We have choices every day. If we're going to accept God's blessings or accept the trick of the enemy. Are we going to take the treat? And I know some simple pastor, there's a lot of terrible things going on. I understand that. But God has the ability to bless us even during the times of difficulty. It's interesting that Paul uses the phrase, put on the full armor of God. Look what Peter says about it. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. This is neat. And you'll find out something else that keeps coming up. It talks about anger, bitterness, but you also talks about humbling ourselves. How I many knows that many times the problems we have is because we fail to humble ourselves toward God? It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties. Now, some of you say, I don't know if I'm anxious or not. Okay, let's say, cast all your problems on the Lord. How about this one? Cast all your stresses on the Lord. See, that's a part of it. Well, I'm stressed out. There's no need for you to be stressed out. God's already died for that stress. Amen. So cast them all on the Lord because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary. Now, what's another word for adversary? Your enemy. The one that's against you. Your adversary, who is it? The devil. The devil is our adversary. He is the principality of the air that we're fighting against. We're fighting against all him and all of his cohorts. Cohorts and we win. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not picky. He'll take on anybody, but he likes to pick on those that are helpless. He loves to pick on those that are weak. He loves to pick on those that are discouraged because he knows that they're more vulnerable. They're more vulnerable. It says resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now you say, why'd you read that? Because see, one of Satan's weapons is to tell you how you're the only one that has it rough. Guess what? Somebody else is going through the rough times too. Somebody else has been there. They've even got the t-shirt. They've been through it. And it says, but after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, whoo, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will him restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So if you're here today and you made some of those bad choices, we followed the wrong path. We serve a God of grace that is able to restore you, to confirm you, to strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Again, our fellow man is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we have a mutual enemy, Satan. He's seeking to devour you. 
And the easiest way to devour you is to deceive you. To lie to you. To trick you. To play with your mind. And one of those things is to make you think you're the only one that's going through the rough times. But that's not true. Go with me over to the book of Genesis. And remember, remember this roaring lion. I think this verse goes hand in hand. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, now what's that mean? If you do what's expected of you, if you might make the right choices, if you make those right decisions, if you choose the treat instead of the trick, you're going to be okay. But it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, in other words, if you make the wrong choices, the wrong cho choosing, guess what will happen? He says, sin is crouching at your door. I think of that sin being that roaring lion. Wanting to devour you. Wanting to destroy you. And it is his desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Go back to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, or the devil, was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now that word crafty, the King James Version says the most subtle. The New Living Testament says the shrewdest. Now what does that mean? That means that there's somebody trying to test you and tempt you and make you cause to do the wrong choices that's smarter than you are. And I know that offends some of you. But the reality is Satan has been doing this a long time. I said, he's been doing it a long time. And he's a great deceiver. He's a great liar. He can look you square in the eye and lie to you. Just like he did Eve. And she believed him. Isn't it amazing how we believe a liar? Now, we can, we can give Eve the benefit of the doubt. She hadn't heard all that we've heard. She doesn't know all that we know. But there's some of you that have known and know that Satan is a liar and you still believe him. You know he's a deceiver and you still follow him. You know he's a trickster and you still go along with him. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What was his first thing? He was causing her to doubt the word of God. When Jesus was faced with temptation, what did he use to defend himself? The word of God. And friends, that's what we have to do when Satan comes against us and offers us choices. We need to remind him what the word of God says. And it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And she believed it. God told her, if you eat it, you're going to die. Satan said, you will not die. And she chose to believe Satan. Now, again, there's a major difference between what Adam did and what Eve did. Because Eve was deceived. I said she was deceived. She was tricked into it. Now, should she have known better? Certainly. But how many of you have kids and you know there's a difference between doing something accidentally or doing something deliberately? Major difference. Adam did it deliberately. He knew. But he chose the wrong one. See, Satan is a, a shyster. He's a trickster. Why was Satan successful? He appealed to the desires of Eve. He appealed to Eve. Now let's go over to the New Testament. Now bear with me. I'm going to get you out of here before the hot dogs get cold, so don't worry about it. First John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, forever. Now, I like the New Living Testament on that one verse. It says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the world, but are from, are not from the Father, but are from the world. I don't know if you got that. But it says, God is offering all these things. He's offering us a treat, but Satan's offering us a trick. And we tend to want to believe the trickster. But I want to tell you something. Our God has given us life and life more abundantly. Amen. And what he was saying there is there's literally a choice between good and evil, but more importantly, life and death. I know some of you say, Pastor, that, that sounds pretty drastic to say life or death. But that's what God says. Go back over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse... Now, another way of saying the trick or the treat. When all these are placed before you, you've got a choice. You can choose God's treat or you can choose the trick of the enemy. Which I've set for you and call them to mind among the nations where the Lord, has, God has driven you. He said, this is a choice. You can choose the trick or the treat. Go down to verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. 
He's given us the simplicity of how we do it. The trick or the treat. And I know somebody said, but you said life or death. Okay, go down to verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good or death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his way and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. In other words, I'm calling heaven and earth dual witnesses to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and a curse. Therefore, choose that you and your life spring may live, loving the Lord God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land. And the Lord swore to the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Obvious choice. Obvious choice. And I know somebody said, well, pastor, you're speaking just to the people that have not chosen salvation. Well, let me think, speak to those of you that think that you may be, be beyond that phase. You've chosen to follow Jesus and everything is grand. But let me give you a word of caution. It is also possible for God's children to make bad choices. I said, it's also possible for God's children to make Poor choices. Right after Jericho, there had been an awesome, awesome victory at Jericho. The walls of Jericho that were so wide they could have chariot races on top of them. And the walls fell down flat. How many thinks that's a pretty big victory? Right after that, there's a little group of people they call the tribe of Ai. And Joshua, the leader, said, we don't need to send the whole team. We don't need to send everybody. Remember, Jericho, we won that battle. Let's just send 2,000 people. They were defeated. They were defeated. Now, why do you think they were defeated? I know we say, well, they had sin in the camp, and that's true. But it could have been that they were depending upon God to do something from yesterday's blessings. And they were being presumptuous and not seeking counsel with God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I can tell you that some of the times that when I fail to ask God's counsel and ask him what the right answer is, I mess up. Because I think I know the answers. And like I said last week, every time I think I know the answers, they change the questions. Amen. Let's look, look what this was. John, Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. 
Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and he said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them in the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now listen to this. Then Joshua. Who was Joshua? Well, let's just say he was the pastor of that church. You say, well, I don't know if that wasn't a correct term. He was a leader of that church. He was the general of that church. But he fell on the of the, before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He had the elders in Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, O God, why have you brought this people over Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. That was the leader. That was the one that's supposed to be mature. But guess what? Anytime we get out of doing it God's way, we mess it up. We got to do it God's way. See, they begin to trust in themselves rather than to trust God. They assume that God worked it out before and that he was going to do it again. And I know there's some of you saying, oh, but pastor, thank God we live in the age of grace. That was in the law and we don't have to worry about that. Well, let's go over to the New Testament and read Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? What do you think bewitched may mean? Think it could mean trick? It literally means to bring evil on a person by a feigned promise or mislead by an evil eye to charm, to fascinate. He was writing to the church. And he said, you foolish Galatians. Okay, you say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't apply to us. He's writing to Galatia. He could have just as he said, oh, foolish Floridians. Who's tricked you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. All right, church. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I grew up in the assemblies, and I thank God for my heritage. But I want to tell you, in my childhood, there was a lot of things that went on that was legalistic. They were legalistic. You say, were they wrong? I'm not saying they were wrong. They were just legalistic. They were binding. And we cannot start out in the spirit and get into the flesh 
and make the right choices. We have to do it by the Spirit of God. Does this help you to understand when God was speaking about the wiles of the devil? He often said, humble yourself. How do you, what do you mean humble yourself? That means sometimes you got to admit that you made the wrong mistake, that you made the wrong choice, that you goofed up. Sometimes even the most spiritually mature begin to think, look what God has done. Again, using Joshua as an example. His first victory was Jericho. But his loss set Ai to a handful of people. Said, would it have been better if we stayed across Jordan? We also need to remember the loss of some of our most sharpest minds, most gifted people that have been deceived by drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, because we never think it will happen to us. Folks, I've worked with enough alcoholics and drug addicts to know that it's some of the sharpest minds they've ever seen. But they got tricked. They got tricked. Some of you have been tricked. You've been deceived. But I'm glad God is able to restore us. There was a song that I thought of this week. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find it. Of course, I understand why it never became a hit. But I couldn't even find who wrote it, so I can't give credit. I know my cousin sang it in a gospel trio back when I was a kid. It went something like this. He put some fruit into my cup and bid me take a bite. It was a big red apple, and I'm sure you'd find it ripe. My eyes have never bothered me, and I'm not going blind. I dropped it for I knew it was a lemon all the time. I said I'd never let the devil in. I said I'd never compromise with sin. You may try me from without. You may try me from within, but I'll never let the devil in that's such silly song but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of truth to it Satan tempts us with something that looks good he promises us that it will never happen to you that you'll never get addicted because you're smarter than that you're more spiritual than that but guess what we pick the trick. And sometimes it's destructive. It's destructive. Second week in a row that I've referred to Brother Tom Miller. 
only one or two of you were around back this time, but I, I remember one night I was preaching on about temptation. And I shared, I had recently talked with a pastor friend of mine that shared with me this story. And maybe I sh shouldn't have shared it then, maybe I shouldn't share it now, but I will. That's a choice I make. It could be wrong. <laughs> but this pastor friend told me, said, you know, I got a phone call from one of my lady parishioners and said, Pastor, I need to see you immediately. Said, so I dropped everything and went to her house. And when she opened the door, she was totally naked. And so I mentioned, I said, that's temptation. What do you do? And I remember Brother, Word, Brother Miller's words, run, brother, run. Run, brother, run. And sometimes that's what we've got to do. Sometimes we've got to drop it and let it go. Many times when we read these scriptures, see, it wasn't just talking about our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is a principal main thing. But I want to tell you something. Our vertical relationship cannot be what it's supposed to be if our horizontal relationship is not what it's supposed to be. Sometimes we got to let it go. Let it go. When I was a kid, we had a, a cow get stuck in the mud. And I'm not talking about figuratively, I'm saying literally. She got in, a, in the mud and couldn't get out. And it took hours of all of us working to get her out of the mud. And those of you that work cattle and know that many farmers or many ranchers will put a fence around the mud pole, mud holes. Why? To keep the cows from getting in them. Because it looks enticing in the middle of a Florida summer when they're 100 degrees and they see something that looks cool. And I'm sure the first few minutes they're in there, it feels exhilarating until they start to try to leave. And they're stuck. I did a little bit of research on quicksand, and I know that wasn't quicksand. We were talking about Florida mud. And those ranchers put some fence around them to keep cows from getting into them. And I've got to add this. Parents, fence off some of the temptations that your kids and grandkids are facing. I said, fence it off. Well, well, I'll keep an eye on them. You can't keep an eye on them all the time. Fence it off. And I want to tell you something. A five-year-old kid is not capable of determining what sex they are. Amen. Fence it off. They're not capable of making decisions that are life-changing at four and five, six years old. Fence it off. Why? Because every kid wants to play in the mud. I said, every kid wants to play in the mud. So we need to fence it off. We need to fence off the games they're playing, the TV they're watching, 
Oh, but pastor, that's detrimental to their health. It may be detrimental, but we can tell you something. In the long run, it'll help you to encourage them not to pick the trick, but to pick the treat. Let's talk about the mud. And I found, I did a little research on quicksand. I found out something. I think I knew this, but it had been a long time since I looked it up. How many of you used to watch the Westerns, or some of you still do, uh, watch the Westerns, and you get in the quicksand, and these guys start going in, and after a while, you just see their hats floating? Well, that can't work. Quicksand will not take you down that low, because it has to be a displacement, and it will only take you down so far. But it really doesn't matter if you drown or starve to death. If you can't get out, you can't get out. And you know what's the worst thing you can do in quicksand? Try to get out. Because that way it makes the displacement a little bit more and you sink a little bit more and it gets a little tighter. You say, why are you saying that? Well, I'm gonna close with this thought. Some of us are struggling to get out of the mess that you got in because of bad choices. You'll never be able to get out by yourself. I read that to get a foot, one foot out of that mud is equivalent to lifting the weight of a car. How many knows that chances are you're not gonna get out? So what's the solution? Quit struggling. And let God rescue you. And I'll guarantee you, he'll never pass you by. He'll always reach out and grab you and pull you from where you are. And yeah, we've all made those decisions. But God is a God that's a restorer of our mistakes, a restorer of life. And so what will it be? Trick or treat? I'd rather choose the treat any day because I found out my God is a good God. And yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. Let's give the Lord a hand, shall we? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship team, come on up. Father, we ask you to minister in the next few moments. We also go ahead and pray for what's going to happen in later on. That you would bless everything. But God, there's people watching on TV, watching online. Maybe they've never chose to follow you because they've never been presented with a choice. But today, they have a choice to choose good or evil. Life or death treat or trick let them make that right choice and father then there are some that are engulfed in quicksand oh it may not be literal quicksand but they made some bad choices and the harder they fought and the harder they struggled the 
deeper it gets. So we ask you, Lord, just to minister by your power and your strength today and help us to make the right choice today to quit struggling and let you pull us to safety. Let us make the right choice today that we would forsake sin and follow after Jesus. That we make the right choice today that we would fence off things in the weak and the disabled and those that cannot fend for themselves and make those decisions. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.